Well, good morning this beautiful May 17th, and this is Pastor Craig Lindgren from First Baptist Church, praying that you all had an excellent week this week. It looks like things are, are getting more favorable for us being able to come back to church, and we are hoping to be doing that um, as early as next week, but we'll keep you posted on that. Through the past several weeks, we've had many discussions about being obedient to God's Word in light of our constitutional rights or in light of uh, the freedoms that we have in this country. And we've continued to point back to the Scriptures and God's Word because as believers, that's where we stand. As discussions with Christians have mutated from constitutional rights versus biblical rights, people have been going to the scriptures and trying to justify certain things. And I'm always challenged by that because I'd like to know what God's word says. I want to be walking in God's word. And that is where we're going to start today is what does God's word say about following it, both in the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. I would like to start with an actual account that happened with me here in Augusta. It was a few months ago. And I was coming home uh, very late one night. We had a lot of road construction in town, and so we had to weave through town. And one of our turns coming off of one road was onto Bush Brothers Road, and the part that was to the north was a dead end as Highway 12 was cut off. As I was driving up late at night, I sort of glanced down the road, and I didn't see any lights down there. And I rolled through the stop sign very slowly and uh, started heading south on Bush Brothers. And to my surprise, I had some lights in my rearview mirror. One of our officers from Augusta PD had pulled me over, and we had a discussion about what had happened. As she came to my door, she recognized me and said, Pastor Craig. And I said, well, hello. And she said, do you know why I pulled you over? And I said, yes, I rolled through the stop sign. She says, well, you almost stopped, but... Not quite. She proceeded to do her work as far as running the plates and making sure I had insurance and all those things. She did come back and was very gracious and gave me a warning. And even though I thought it was safe to roll through the stop sign as no one was there, it made me realize that I was still guilty of breaking the law. There's a saying out there that character is who you are when nobody is watching. As I prepared the message for this week, it made me think about, do we as Christians have that thought also? That if it's not going to harm somebody, or if it's not going to harm me, or I believe it's safe, do we then have the right to disregard a written law? As in my conviction and understanding of God's Word through these times, I've been teaching Romans 13 and 1 Peter 2 as scriptures that we as Christians need to adhere to. And so I was challenged in a discussion this past week when somebody says, you're hung up on the letter of the law, what is the spirit of the law? And in this person's opinion, we could do as we needed to do as Christians as we felt was good, even if it contrasted God's word. So as we look at this, we're just going to look at some of the scriptures that discuss the spirit and the letter of the law. One of the scriptures that was referenced to me comes out of 2 Corinthians, the third chapter, starting at the fourth verse. And this states, And we have such trust through Christ towards God, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. So we're going to unwrap 
that scripture as well as looking at some others, because we always want to take our scripture in context and as a whole. Romans has a few scriptures that I just want to add to give us sort of a background feel for what the scriptures mean when they talk about the letter versus the spirit of the law. In Romans 3.27, it says, Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By the law of works? No, but by the law of faith. We fully understand that we are saved by grace uh, through faith, not of works, lest anyone should boast. But where do these works come from? What role do they have in our life? Romans 3.20, just a few verses earlier, it says, The law brings wrath. But where there is no law, there is no transgression. So we have the law that shows us really what is right and what is wrong. Now as we look at just a couple other scriptures just to give us a a full background and a feel for what we're looking at, again, there's arguments about the law. We know that we are saved by grace through faith, not of works. But the law is there for a purpose, and laws of the land are there also for a purpose, and those are not only the spirit, but also in the letter of the law, because we can interpret things many different ways if they weren't written. So Romans 3.20 tells us, For by works of the law no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. A few verses later in 3.27, says, Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By the law of works? No, but by the law of faith. And then in 3.31 it says, Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. And then Paul goes on to explain a little further in Romans 4, For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. So we see the purpose of the law is really to show us right and wrong. Those are the standards that God has put in place for us. So we can see many times that the spirit of the law is often contrasted with the letter of the law. But the spirit of the law has to do with a a deeper meaning, really, and Jesus really expounds on that in the New Testament. The letter of the law sometimes may refer to exact wording of something or something that may be literally applied without a regard for any deeper meaning. And children are really good at emphasizing the letter of the law to the exclusion of the spirit of the law. The following example may help. But what I have been seeing in some Christians is that they are excluding more of the letter of the law in place of the spirit of the law, which really is an anarchist type of a mindset that I can set the stage for what I want to do, how I want to do it, what I want to say, how I want to say it, and we become the interpreters of all these things. As you may look at a child, you could picture a child that comes home from school and is told, do not watch TV until you finish your homework. A few minutes later, his mother finds him watching cartoons on his tablet with his homework untouched. The child protests that his mom only told him not to watch TV. She never said anything about watching cartoons on his tablet. In this example, the child has kept the letter of the law, but he has violated the spirit of the law. If the mother had said, finish your homework before you watch cartoons, then perhaps the child would have watched a baseball game instead, once again keeping the letter of the law. She could have even been more specific. Do not watch any kind of show on any electronic device until you finish your homework. But then the child might decide to go outside and play, leaving his unfinished homework inside. The frustrated mom could have said, don't do anything until you finish your homework. But the child, again taking it literally, could then claim to be unable to even open his 
book bag to get his homework out. Obviously, focusing on the letter of the law can be a tactic to negate the intent or the spirit of the law. The scripture I want to come out of today, just to show you, I believe, how we should respond because this is how Jesus taught, is out of Matthew 5, starting in the 13th verse. And again, as believers, I believe that we don't just go to the, the letter of the law, just to the a very edge, but we go beyond, not breaking the letter, but encompassing more of what that um, meaning may be. In 5.13, uh, we read where the believers are to be salt and light. It says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing than to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of a world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. As we pause here just for a moment, I just want to talk about some of the things that have happened in Wisconsin over the last couple of days. Once the stay-at-home order was overturned, they said within minutes, if not hours, uh, many of the bars had opened up and they were plum-filled with people. Now, none of the health concerns have changed. The pandemic is still going on. The contagiousness of this is still there. The, the means of it getting spread is still there. But by the letter of the law, these people were within their rights to do what they were doing. The question I have is, are many churches going to follow the pattern of bars this weekend by just opening the doors and flooding people in? As my wife and I watched the news, we saw these people that were shoulder to shoulder and doing things just as they always had done them. Again, by the letter of the law, we can do that. We can fill up our auditoriums. We can have people sitting shoulder to shoulder. We can be having potlucks or sharing communion from a common cup. But would that be fulfilling the spirit of the law and God's word? Now, let me also pause here to say we are planning to come together as a church, but we are taking our time to set up policies and to set up uh, well-thought-out ideas of how we are going to do this to keep people safe because the things of this world have not changed. Again, as I have said, the the virus is still there. It's still being spread the same way that it always has. It's hasn't been eradicated, so we need to take the next step in how we handle these things. And it is scripture that supports these behaviors that we have. So if we're to be a light in this world, if we're going to be set on a hill, if we're going to shine as an example to those around us, we don't follow the pattern of the world as these bars and taverns and restaurants and other things may be doing, but we want to set the standard of the proper way that these things should be done so that nobody can speak evil of us or speak uh, against the way that we are doing things. In Matthew five seventeen, it goes on to say, Do not think that I have came to destroy the law of the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, not one jot, not one tittle will by no means pass from the law until all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men to do so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. 
For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees and scribes, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Simply saying that our trust is in Christ, our salvation is in Christ, our life is in Christ, and we do live in a, as an example to those around us, uh, but it's not in our righteousness, it's in the righteousness of Christ and his Holy Spirit in us. He goes on, and this is where I really want to focus on the spirit of the law. You can keep reading on through 21 through 26, but then we come to this place of adultery. And as he's talking about this adultery, he's talking about our heart. It says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. When we look at that situation, we could stand on our pedestal and say, I have never committed adultery. I have never uh, gone with another woman other than my wife. But Jesus says there's more than just the letter of the law. There's the spirit of the law. And the spirit of the law is that which convicts us in our hearts. He says that if you've looked upon a woman that way, you've committed adultery already. So in my opinion, when I look at God's word and when I look at the spirit of the law, the spirit of the law is not easier or a less challenging way than the letter of the law. It's actually more challenging. In my life before Christ, I was never what I would call a big swear. I didn't use a lot of curse words and, and seldom used uh, the Lord's name in vain, even though that was all wrong. But when I got saved, uh, that was easy to give up in my life. I didn't have to use those words anymore, and it was fairly easy to get rid of those things. And as I could have sat proudly thinking, I don't speak those things, I still had to come to the realization that I still thought those words once in a while. If I hit my thumb with a hammer, if I uh, had a sharp pain, if you know I got very mad, sometimes those words would come to mind. I used to think proudly, well, at least I'm not saying those things. But God convicted me in my heart that I shouldn't even be thinking those things that I needed to go to him and ask forgiveness for even thinking those things, even though I wasn't saying those things. Many Christians today, especially conservative Christians, are, are very good at putting on masks, are very good at looking the part of a good Christian. They look right, they talk right, they act right, but God challenges us in the heart. I remember many years ago when I was being discipled by an older man, and we were talking about the things of God, and as I was sharing things that were on my heart, he had told me in my life, you may be sitting down on the outside, but you're standing up on the inside. Let God change your heart. And I believe that's the fact with many of us Christians today. We are sitting on the outside. We are we are conforming our life to actions and things to look good. But inside, we are still a rebellious people. We are still dealing with issues of the heart. We are masquerading in our Christian life. We are projecting something that maybe we truly aren't. God wants us to be genuine. He wants to deal with the inside of us more so than the outside. And that's why he has the teachings of the 
whitewashed sepulchre, the whitewashed dish that on the outside it's clean, looks wonderful, but on the inside it's dirty, can be full of dead man's bones. Many have rebelled, I believe, during this time of of crisis, and it's a time when really the church should be shining, the church should be setting the example, uh, but we are justifying our actions and trying to use scripture to do so. I had an individual bring up many instances of in the Old Testament how godly people had disobeyed the law in order to accomplish something, and therefore maybe we should be able to do that yet today. And it's like that old adage, does two wrongs make a right? God has called us to be salt in this world. He has called us to be light in this world. He has called us to be different from this world. We as believers are not to mimic the bars. We are not to bring the world into the church, but we are to stand on God's word and what he has for us to do. He has called us a strange and peculiar people. He has called us to to be in stark contrast to those things that go on around us. A little further in Matthew 5, verse 38, it says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you to resist an evil person. Whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other cheek to him also. Really? Yes, really. This is what God's word tells us to do. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. We give over and above. Whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. That's a different standard than what the world has today. It's the world that says an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. It's the world that says we embrace evil. It's the world who says, you slap me on my cheek, I'm going to slap you right back. If somebody wants to sue us in the world today, the thought is, I'm going to counter-sue. And then here are some of the most powerful scriptures in all the Bible. Down in Matthew 5:43, you have heard it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use and persecute you. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brother only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. You see, according to Jesus, obeying the letter of the law, but not the Spirit, is not an option. Jesus told us, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And all the law of the prophets hang on these two commandments. Through these last few months, I have often stated we don't need to be in fear. We just need to be careful. We need to have a love for others. I've heard many Christians say, and I think somewhat arrogantly, it doesn't bother me if I die, pushing towards their rights of being able to gather together and do the things that they've always wanted to do. But I often have to ask, is that really loving your neighbor? Is that really caring for those that are around you? 
that if I don't care if I die, that I can just go out and possibly be one that causes more harm than good. It's a fairly selfish way of thinking about things. I stated a few months ago, and I've stated several times since this, that as we go through this, we are going to see the hearts of many people. We will see those that truly have a a love for others. We will see those that need to be the center of attention. We will see those that have other motivations than really getting through this thing healthy together. Now listen, and I understand, we have a a love for others that they need to hear the gospel message, and there's many ways of doing that. We have a love for others that we want to be with them, and that time is coming. It's, It's really upon us now. You have that freedom to do those things. There's a love of freedom, but we give up our freedom in order to do that which is right, according to God's word. And there's a love and compassion for those that we really do care about, but are you really thinking of them? I have seen those that, before this time, have used God's word to fight against the laws of the land with God's word, and now that some things have been taken away, they're using the law of the land to fight against God's word. For Christians, those things should not be. In Luke 10, there was a a teacher of the law, and he really wanted to justify himself, and he, he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And he really wanted the letter of the law because he understood if, if he could uh, keep that definition narrow enough that he could probably love his neighbor as himself. But Jesus went on to the spirit of the law. And he says, really, your neighbor is anyone that you come in contact with. In fact, the real question is not who is my neighbor, but who will I be a neighbor to? The spirit of the law requires that we be neighborly in a proactive manner looking for people who need help. Ultimately, none of us are able to keep this law perfectly, in letter or spirit, and we are therefore convicted as sinners who need a Savior in his leading. One final thought. God knows the intents of our heart. He knows that there is a lot of good people out there meaning to do good things, but they're missing the boat. Those that know what to do and don't do it, to them it is sin. I want you to think as we are in this time now and we begin to gather back together as a church and what a great time this is when we can have fellowship again. I want you to think about your neighbors. I want you to think about those around you. We are still in dangerous times. There are still those that have compromised health conditions. There are those that are still vulnerable. And we as believers can be that light in the world. Let's not pattern ourselves after the bars or after the restaurants or after the stores or after anything in this world. Our pattern is not this world. He says we are to be in the world but not of the world. But let us do things according to God's word, led by his spirit, guided by his word. As we look at what Jesus has done for us, he is the most gracious, merciful person that we have ever come in contact with. He is our Lord. He is our Savior. We need him, and we need to share him with the world around us. Opportunities abound for us. This is a time when we, I believe, have reached more people with the gospel, and those that are doing the things according to God's word will be blessed and will have those opportunities. Don't fight for position. Don't fight for uh, rights that we don't have. 
fight for those that are lost, that they might know Christ, and that we might have the opportunity to share the gospel with them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for all that you are doing. And again, Lord, as we are in the situation that we are in here in Wisconsin, here in the United States, and really worldwide, we don't understand it. But what we do understand is that there is always opportunities. And Lord, you have called your people to be a light in this world. You have called us to be salt. You have told us to love our neighbor and to reach out to our neighbors. Father, help us to be an example that when they look at us, that they will see you. Father, it's not just about a church. It's not about uh, being something that we're not. Lord, it's about being a Christian and that we need to know you as our Lord and Savior. Lord, we pray that any that don't know you as Lord and Savior, that you would call them, Lord, that you have spoken to their heart, that they just need to know that we need to repent as sinners and to receive the gift of eternal life through you. And Lord, even as believers, we have sinned and we have fallen short of the glory of God. And Lord, we can come to you. First John tells us you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Lord, be with us now. Help us again through this week. And we thank you, Lord, for all that you are doing, knowing that you are sovereign and that you are in control. And we ask these things now in Jesus' most precious name. Amen.